This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. He writes in this place, he had a special that whenever he would learn something, it always had a connection with that time period. It, like if there was a, if it was a special yontiv or a special day that he needed to say a few words, Whatever it was, the ongoing limud, he always, that which was a consistent um, topic, whatever he was learning consistently, always had a message that was especially time-sensitive as well for that moment. So I was thinking, what could be a better place than Taharis, than Mikvos? They've learned Mikvos, and wouldn't that be the right place to explain what a call is? So we'll start... With the Rambam, the Rambam mikvos, by the way, is a masechta that pure halacha. It's mishnayis. There is no real agarata there, and you'd be hard pressed to find agarata in mikvos. But the Rambam, whenever he finishes a whole section um, in halacha, the Rambam's uh, Mishnah Torah is all based on halacha. He also takes the last paragraph to give us some Musa insight that he feels is central to the topic. And in the whole section of Taras, which deals with Tum and Taran, ends with Mikvos, the Rambam does the same. And let's just sort of um, read out the main points. He says, It's clear that the concept of purity and impurity in its ritual sense is not something that is humanly tangible, accessible. It's what the Torah ordained. And it's not of the things that a person's mind could really, really, um, you know, get a handle on it. And it's something that must be described as chok, the, the part of Torah which is God's wisdom, unaccessible to human mind. V'cheni says, "Atvilu min atumis," and when a person goes to the mikveh after he was tomei, where there was a sheretz or a mace or whatever it was, the mace needs further, but the, and so on, he says, "Michal chukim heim." It's part of of chok. She'ena tumet titot zoe shetava b'mayim. It's not a physical dirt. When somebody touched the sheretz and he has to go to the mikveh for each truma, there's nothing physically adhering to his body. So what's the use of washing it off? So he says, it's exeus akasav. It's Torah ordains it. So how do we find some meaning in it? Um, the Afopike, I'm skipping a line here, remezesh bedava. He says, it has something to do with the change in attitude. The Afopike, remezesh bedava. Kishem shamechav libo letaya. Just like a person who has decided to become Tohar, Kivim Shet Tohar, as soon as he goes to the mikveh with that decision, and the Rambam says, because you must bear in mind that if you accidentally fall into the mikveh, you don't become Tohar. And the person went into the mikveh, nothing changed in the person, it's all external. If a person decides to cleanse himself from a spiritual impurity, which is 
שהן מחשבות האון ודעות הרוס. It's evil thoughts, bad attitudes. כיוון שהסכם בליבו לפשוט סייצס, as soon as he decides to move away from it, והבי נפשו במי הדס, and he's immersed himself in the waters of דס, would be knowledge, wisdom. הרי עומר, דאטה פוסק, says, הקדוש ברוך הוא will, 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 will um, spray on you waters that are, that are pure and, pure you, and, and purify you from all impurities. That is the Rambam as he ends off. It's a little bit enigmatic, the Rambam. The Rambam is not clear what he's referring to. The Rambam, it would be very simple if we were doing a little pop psychology, we'd say, well, it's like, you know, you sinned, you became dirty, now you become clean. The Rambam says something about thoughts and impurities and so on. Let's try to get a handle on something that the Rambam is talking about. The Rambam clues us in, and he uses a word, mehadas, the waters of das, which will roughly translate as knowledge, wisdom, and so on. And he refers to Torah. Torah is referred to as Mayim. Me'adas is clearly, he's referred to Torah. But what exactly does he mean? Other than just a generic, you know, if you, you sort of start doing right. The word das, in, in Hebrew, there are many terms for knowledge, wisdom, etc. The word das has in itself a particular meaning, besides generically sometimes being used for all sorts of wisdom. There are different explanations of what is the particular meaning of it. But the Ikrim, I think the Ebenezer in a certain place says, and others, Dralbag says of Mishlei, the word Das refers to the following type of knowledge or wisdom. Whenever we think and we use our minds, there are actually two things that are being used. There's a processing of information, and that's what we call thinking. But then there are axioms that we take for granted that we've started with. It's, there is no such thing as pure thought. Um, it's, been, it's been one of, the, um, one of the ideas that have sort of become formulated over the last centuries are there is no system that proves itself. You start with certain axioms. Uh, our holy constitution starts with things that are self-evident. They're, 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 that's what we're, we're based on. We, there are things. There's nothing. There's nothing that can't. That doesn't start with axioms. And using those axioms, you build outwards, and you say, well, if these things are self-evident, and everyone understands it, so therefore X, Y, and Z. Where do those items come from? Very few of them are really, really hardwired in the brain. They come from um, things that are commonly accepted, that that everyone understands, and we grow up with it. And that is, those are many of our axioms. And it's, it's impossible to really shake them because this is our environment, and this is what we are, and these, and, these, and these are the basic units that have come into us at a very young age and have been reinforced by society. And everything that, every argument we'll make afterwards is built on those thoughts. I remember I once heard from someone who was a, he was a Talmud or a Baba, Berman's Chodim Fracha, 
And he was arguing with somebody, and Robert Berman spoke English, but a heavy, heavily accented. He said, well, he says, from your perspective, you're right, but your perspective is wrong. <laughs> the, the, the question is, like, the operating system. What, what are the basic, what are those basic principles that we start extrapolating outwards? I, let's, so now let's understand something about mikvah and understand the Rambam's, on, I think, where the Rambam, how the Rambam presented it. The Gemara says in Chulim that every type of animal you have on land, you have in the ocean. And, and, the, and that means that the land and ocean are parallel universes. Gemara says there's one exception. And we commonly name catfish, lionfish, and so on. I know the Gemara refers to, I guess, something things that are more substantial than that. But the Gemara is telling us these are two worlds, and we know that fish don't survive on land, and land animals don't survive in the ocean terribly well, and and it's two totally separate worlds. When a person immerses himself in a mikveh, he's left that world and he's gone into a new world. It gives him the ability to start fresh, not from axioms onwards, but to start with a fresh set of axioms, because he's a new world. And that's the point the Ramam says, we're not wiping off surface dirt. We're not wiping off something external. We're actually going into a different world. And coming into a different world, we now can, we can, we can emerge again and start fresh from the very, very bottom. That's the conceptual understanding of a mikvah. It is more so true in our whole way of looking at things. And our ideas, much of things that we do wrong, is not because of a particular Yitzhahara, not because of a fault in the reasoning, but sometimes our very basic premises are off. I remember I was once, there was a, a, a man in Silverspring, an extremely brilliant and successful lawyer, um, somebody who's um, a, a person, a shomotor, a mitzvah, but whose worldview excluded the concept of sitting and learning in any way. You know, learn the basics and that's it. His son was a tremendously successful Talmud at the yeshiva, went out to other yeshivas, and was extremely, extremely successful, and it built a very Torah. He sat and learned for maybe 10 years, and now he's a, a, a Rebbe someplace. And I have a good, despite our difference of opinion, we have a very good, we have a friendship. And I was recently speaking to the, to the boy's father, and I asked him, no, Jonathan, what do you say, you know, how to kids? He said, you know, I, go, I come into their apartment, and it's sparse. Four little kids and in a tiny apartment. He's busy all day. She's busy all day. They don't take anything themselves. But he said, you know, they're just such happy people. I don't get it. And his reasoning was, was absolutely flawless. I couldn't argue his reasoning. Once you start at the premise of what happiness is about, if you start with a certain set of premises, I couldn't disprove his argument. His problem was that the premises were wrong about what makes a, a person satisfied with life, happy with life, content with his lot, and all of those things. 
Akolo does many good things, but what they are, are the creating of a new environment. It's every person himself, when he does mitzvahs, he's following a, um, a conclusion, it's a conclusion to a thinking process. When he learns, he, and, and when he learns in a very in, in, in a very basic way of spending time and hour and formative years learning, he's building up certain building blocks of axioms and postulates of, that will form the basis for the thought process and for the conclusions. I remember when I was in high school and uh, I was going through my last year or two, I was struggling with the idea of whether to look for a secular career or learning, and I made a decision that I would go on to yeshiva to full-time learning. I had a history teacher who was a former professor of history at City College, brilliant man, totally secular, totally secular. Um, I would even add maybe quite anti-religious. It was Yeshivas in those days had different hiring policies than they have today. And he actually, I guess he looked askance a bit at the boy's interest in, in religious studies. He was polite enough not to voice him, but that was it. And he was also a bit of an eccentric person. And he, I, was, I was a very good student. I did well. And then he found out somewhere in the middle of the senior year that I was thinking very seriously of looking into a yeshiva track. And he was devastated. So he, we came into his class one day, and he gave for the lack of a better word, a musashmus. He spoke a little bit of a pep talk. And he had a very eccentric way of talking. He would, he, would, he would throw out like a question, and then he would, this was across the board, and then he would offer answers, negate them, and come up with the right answer. And he had a very, very, so he said, he was sitting there looking very, very seriously, he says, you gotta go to college. You gotta go to college. Why? A, to make a lot of money? Nah. B, to have a fancy piece of paper on the wall? Nah, I think there was a C also of some sort. He says, you've got to go to college because you go and you go and you go. And one day you wake up and you see the world in a very different way than you ever saw it before. I think that convinced me to go to yeshiva. I think that that was the, that, that, I think that, that sort of, but the, but the point was very insightful. And, and it really, there's a, there's a great truth to it. There are certain things in life that push it this direction, that direction, other direction. There's certain things that give you a way of looking at things. And in a very basic way. And everything else is just kind of, it, it's by extension. It's not a new argument. When, you, when a person himself sits and learns in a serious way for, for the serious years of his life and the formative years of life, when a group of people come together and they're Osek and Torah, and create an atmosphere of, 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 of those ideas of learning, it changes everything because it changes it at rock bottom, at what's right, what's wrong. A halacha is not, a humra is not something that came in, flew in somehow through an open window and landed and on the table. It's, it came from the bottom up. We understand what halachas are, what halacha is, what this particular premise this is, and so on. Our attitudes towards things, everything. At the end of the day, the attitudes are built on certain premises. This is the das, 
the equivalent of what the Rambam means, that a person, when he immerses himself in a different world, he comes out a different person, even if the individual pieces haven't changed. It's been a, a um, inspiration for me and uh, an extraordinary it, 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 insightful to be in the community, to be part of this Meidanas of, of, of a group of such wonderful delight and a community that surrounds them with support and love. And may HaKadosh Baruch Hu give that, that, that the, this Meidanas, which creates a bedrock of, of, of a Torah perspective, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's perspective, permeate the, the atmosphere and, and bring about all of those results, all those wonderful results that when, 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 the, when your premises are correct and your thinking is straight, then the results are absolutely unmarked. on a bench and then have some more dancing afterwards.